Tell you how, my friends, here we are on the hunt for deeper truths. Join us now. We're going to take a wee bit of a ride. Best to hold on tight. We might take several jumps. So here's a quick preview. So we'll be given the throne of David, will reign over the house of Jacob, and there will be no end to his kingdom. And that's why we here at Lamb and Lion Ministries like to call these the forgotten promises of Christmas today, because these three promises have been spiritualized. The what's called the amillennial interpretation of the Bible to, instead of taking the Bible literally, it's spiritualized to change the meanings to fit an idea that Israel has no role in Bible prophecy anymore, which that's not true. So if you want to spiritualize the Bible, you're not going to interpret it correctly. You're going to just have to come up with certain meanings, and that's what's happened here with these three prophecies. That has told people that you don't have to believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian. I mean, this is, you know, this, this, this light has been perpetrated and uh, the kingdom of darkness is, is, is it infiltrated the church on numerous levels at this point. And so there's all these heresies circulating today. And, um, and I'm going like, well, wait a minute, you know, without the virgin birth, the whole thing collapses. You, you can't even have Christianity without that. Listening to Spiritual Encounters with Pastor Casper McLeod. And now, here's your lion-hearted host, Pastor Casper. Now, heaven truly appears to be voice activated because we read in places like Psalm 103:20, bless the Lord, ye his angels, and excel in strength that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. So it indicates that when we speak forth words, we're aligning and we're pleasing unto the Lord. Jesus Yeshua causes his angels to carry out assignments on our behalf. So um, I therefore encourage us to, to go forward, making declarations and proclamations and speaking blessings. Um, and I'm just so um, happy to be here. Welcome to another spiritual encounter. I am your lion-hearted host and I'm here with my very good friend, Nathan Jones. Um, Nathan, welcome back to Spiritual Commerce. Miss seeing you the last few months. Yes, I'm glad to finally be back uh, ministering with you all again. It's a great blessing. It's good to see you're, you're doing well, and I hope everybody's well this Christmas season. Let us talk about Christmas. I mean, we, we've got so much going on in the world right now. People are you know, bowing down to a spirit of fear and all kinds of wacky stuff that's going on. And it's like every year there's rumors of wars and, and, and all the rest of it. and um, but let's talk about what's really important. The most essential thing here is the, the word of God that he be, was born of a virgin. Yes. Well, it's true. 2020 has been a most 
horrific year, hasn't it? And uh, we know based on Bible prophecy, it's going to get worse. And I think when we can get bogged down into the daily activities, uh, the trials and tribulations all of us are facing, I, I know a lot of the governmental support of people uh, ends in January. So the, the nation's facing 10 million people possibly being evicted from their rental units. Uh, we know that tough times still remain, even with the vaccine, uh, this COVID pandemic and the fear surrounded probably will not go away in 2021. So uh, it behooves us as Christians then to refocus our minds on what the Bible has to say, to, to get that big God view 30,000 foot picture and get into Bible prophecy and see what the Bible has to say about the future, because it's not all gloom and doom. And when we focus on the here and now, it sure seems that way. But God has a big plan and a purpose in place. And I hope we can discuss that tonight. Are you looking forward to that? Um, you know, it seems to me that um, a lot of people today just they just don't even understand. Um, I, I think it was um, there's a British um, company last year. What was it called? Um, one poll that carried out some research, and and it showed that um, amazingly, like um, whatever it was, like maybe uh, three out of uh, five British millennials didn't even know that the baby in the manger scene was Jesus. How is how did we ever get to a point like that? Um, and, and you know, it, it's. And we need to understand how so it, it's so important because you know um, that he was born and conceived uh, you know of the virgin that's it's, it's critical to our faith and, and we've got so many prophecies about this that people don't even know about anymore so i would love for us to, to delve into that and, and share a bit of that today certainly I, I you're right the church is in a sad state of affair i saw a barna poll for those in Great Britain, there's less than 1% evangelical Christian. Here in the United States, it's down to 9%. Now, there's certainly many people who call themselves Christians. There's many people who go to church, but that believe in the absolute biblical authority of scriptures, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and our Savior, all those primary doctrines, only 9%. And, and so no wonder they don't know who the baby is in the manger. You know, is it Santa Claus? Is it Rudolph? I mean, all these stories swirl around Christmas. And so I think what we really need to do, Casper, uh, is get into what's called, I like to call here at Lamb and Lion Ministries, the forgotten promises of Christmas. Now, if folks are interested, uh, I'm the co-host of the television program, Christ in Prophecy. And you can find that on our website at christinprophecy.org. Of course, we're broadcast our television show on all the major Christian networks. And so this week happens to be our episode on the forgotten promises of Christmas. So folks really want to dive into what Casper and I are talking about. Uh, check out our website, ChristinProphecy.org, right on the homepage. They can watch that episode or on our YouTube channel, Christ in Prophecy. So to get into talking about the forgotten promises of Christmas, then we need to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 31 through 33. So can I dive in there, Casper, with that? Do it. Absolutely. All right. So, all right. So let me go ahead and read uh, Luke 1 to you. And we'll start with verses 31 and end in 33. And the Bible says, Behold, and this is an angel, Gabriel, giving this message to Mary. And he says to her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, 
there will be no end. So here we got this angel Gabriel, and he comes to Mary with a message from God, and he delivers seven promises to Mary. So let's go through them a bit. Four of them relate to the first coming of Jesus, and that would be one, that Mary would conceive and have a child. And uh, that was, uh, you could find that in Matthew 1, 18 through 20, that was fulfilled, that Mary would conceive a child without a man. She'd be a virgin, and that's what happened. She would then bear a son, and that was uh, fulfilled in prophecy in Matthew 1, verse 25. The third one is that uh, he would be great, and uh, Luke 7, 16 explains in part the greatness of Jesus when he finally came, and that the son would be called the son of God. And Jesus was called the son of God in Matthew 16, 16, Matthew 27, 54, and Mark 1, 1. So here we've got these first four of the seven promises that God told the angel Gabriel to give to Mary, and each of these were fulfilled exactly. Casper, I'll take a little side note here to say that uh, back in the 50s, mathematician Peter Stoner calculated that just eight of the 108 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled about his first coming would be calculated as one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one with the 10, uh, follow, one followed by 17 zeros. That number is astronomical. And that's just eight prophecies. And here in just this one uh, passage, we've seen Jesus fulfill four of those eight. And that's not even counting the 108 that he fulfilled. So folks, if, if you are doubting the Bible is the word of God, you can just look to fulfilled Bible prophecy. And you can see that fulfilled Bible prophecy proves that the Bible is the very word of God and we can put our faith and trust in it. And that should give you encouragement and hope as you read the Bible. So that's the first four. Let's jump into the next three. And these three are related to Jesus' second coming. So uh, we read that there's 108 general prophecies uh, excuse me, 300 general prophecies and 108 specific prophecies about Jesus Christ coming in his first coming. Well, in the Old Testament, there's 500 prophecies, and one in 25 verses in the New Testament talk about Jesus' second coming. It's actually one of the most prolific prophecies in the whole Bible, the prophecy that Jesus will return to this earth to set up his kingdom. So Mary was given these prophecies as well by the angel Gabriel. So of the seven, number five is that he, Jesus, will be given the throne of David. He will sit on the throne of David. Uh, the sixth one is that he will reign over the house of Jacob. And number seven, there will be no end to his kingdom. So he'll be given the throne of David, he'll reign over the house of Jacob, and there will be no end to his kingdom. And that's why we here at Lamb and Lion Ministries like to call these the forgotten promises of Christmas today, because these three promises have been spiritualized. The what's called the amillennial interpretation of the Bible to, instead of taking the Bible literally, it's spiritualized to change the meanings to fit an idea that Israel has no role in Bible prophecy anymore, which that's not true. So if you want to spiritualize the Bible, you're not going to interpret it correctly. You're going to just have to come up with certain meanings, and that's what's happened here with these three prophecies. Well, yeah, I, I, as you're saying that, I'm reminded of in uh, Isaiah, um, in chapter 7, it says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, behold a virgin, um, shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, I mean, that, that means God with us, um, obviously it's not a, it's an actual name, but uh, how extraordinary that when we, 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 we just stand back and, and get perspective on this, it's, um, 
I think one of the reasons um, for Jesus, the virgin birth is, is identified as the Messiah. We, we read in Isaiah um, chapter 7, verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Everybody wants a sign. Well, here it is. Behold, the virgin um, conceived and bear a son shall call his name Emmanuel. And, you know, by the way, Emmanuel means God with us. It's not his actual name. But how extraordinary that the, the Lord provides us with such a prophecy that the, the virgin would be with the child and give birth to the Savior of the will. I mean, that's as clear as it can be. Um, and, and every, you know, every since that prophecy, the Jews have been looking for a particular sign to sort out how it's going to play out. And I, I think that's probably mind-boggling, but this is a mind-boggling miracle. Um, the virgin birth is certainly uh, uh, just a powerful validation. Um, I mean, you, you can take a test group of virgins, right? And, and wait as long as you like. And after several years, you're still never going to produce another savior of the world. Um, science can uh, explain you know, things in a very limited way with quantum theory and, and all the rest of it. But now we've got more questions than answers. So... Um, but let's just jump back in. You, you were making a really good point there. Oh, no, that's an excellent point, because it's amazing how people will try to spiritualize that in prophecy. Uh, they'll say, well, it, that doesn't mean virgin, it means maiden. Or, and yet the context of it is clearly a sexual union. It's not, what, what's the miracle that she was a young woman? Uh, young women were getting married and having children all the time throughout history. So there's nothing particular about that. Or they'll say that the the woman, it was just Isaiah's wife, and Isaiah's wife will get pregnant and have a child. Well, Isaiah's wife wasn't a virgin. So again, it's amazing how people will try to spiritualize these passages. And so getting back to the, the three prophecies given to Mary that haven't fulfilled, they'll also try to spiritualize that well as well. So for one, they'll say, well, the throne of David is, is God's throne, but the throne of David isn't the throne of God. The throne of God is, is actually up in heaven, and Psalm 122.5 says the throne of David is in Jerusalem. And remember that the Messiah was promised to sit on the throne of David forever. It's part of the Davidic covenant. And Jesus himself clearly differentiated between the throne of God and his own throne in Revelation 3.21. In a verse, he says uh, that he will one day allow believers to sit with him on his throne. And he says, just as his father is currently allowing him to share his throne. So we know then from Revelation 3.21 that Jesus' throne is different from the Father's throne. And Jesus isn't sitting on the throne of David today. The Bible says he's sitting at the right hand of his Father on his Father's throne. So that throne of David is still yet to be occupied. It's always promised to be in Jerusalem. And Jesus will return to earth one day. He's going to rule from Mount Zion in Jerusalem as Isaiah 24 prophesied. Mm -hmm. So we know then that this will happen. Uh, let me pull up Isaiah 24 here. It says, so it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth. They'll be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon will be confined in prison. And after that days, many will be punished. Then the moon, pulling that up here. Sorry about that. The moon will be abashed, the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion in, in Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. So here we are this amillennial interpretation that the throne of David is just God's throne isn't biblical. So we know that Jesus is still not on this earth physically ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. So that's part of Christ's kingdom that has yet to come. That's a second coming prophecy. 
Excellent point. Uh, I think another reason, um, possibly, of indulgent birth is simply that you know, if having a biological father would have annulled Jesus' deity, um, so he couldn't therefore have been, you know, the biological son of Joseph or, and the biological son of God at the same time. And, like the New Agers, you know, and the transhumanists, they they want to achieve Christ consciousness, or you know, um, they want to in the whole AI. You know, madness of the artificial intelligence get, get your consciousness into software or whatever. But it, it, this is the same idea. Um, you know, thinking a mere mortal can achieve God status. They are terribly mistaken in their pursuits. Um, and I think the thing is that every person born of, of you know, man sadly has inherited Adam's uh, trans, uh, transgenerational epigenetic um, sin nature. You know, um, we, we go to um, what is it, um, Romans 5, you know, wherefore as one man's sin entered in the world and death by sin, so death is passed upon all men for all sin. We've, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we need the Lord Jesus. Amen. Isn't it interesting that fallen man, we continually try to pull God down out of his divinity and make him a mere man, while we ourselves try to elevate ourselves into godhood. It shows really how debased, evil yet arrogant absolutely that humanity is it's, it's, a, it's a spirit of pride and that, that's what not lucifer out of the system so mm -hmm. well, one of the uh this if we go to the sixth prophecy about jesus ruling over the house of jacob again people that are trying to pull god from his throne so to speak will reinterpret this prophecy and they'll say well the house of jacob is the church and therefore jesus is ruling over the house of jacob now but the house of Jacob is an Old Testament term, and it always applies to the children of Israel. You can find that particularly like, say, in Exodus 19.3. But the church is never in the Bible ever referred to as the house of Jacob. The Bible teaches that a remnant of Jews are, are going to one day accept Jesus, their Messiah. And you can find that, say, in Zechariah 12 and Romans 9 and Romans 11. And this will occur at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, which Jeremiah 30, verse 7 calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. When Jesus returns at the end of that time of suffering, the Jewish realm will be gathered to the land of Israel, and they're going to become the foremost nation of the world, as Ezekiel 37 prophesies. And Jacob will rule over the house of Jacob then. So Jesus is not in Jerusalem. Uh, Israel is being gathered together, but they won't be all gathered from the world until the Gog Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is fulfilled. And when Jesus returns, then he will rule over the saving, saved remnant those Jews who survived the tribulation time period, accepted him as savior and goes into his millennial kingdom. Then Jesus will be ruling over the house of Jacob. So like these other ways that amillennialists try to reinterpret the Bible, the house of Jacob is reinterpreted too, but it's still a future prophecy. Well, I, I think God says what he means and means what he said. And I think we should just go with that. So, um, Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, if we interpret the Bible for its plain sense meaning, we have a saying here at Layman Line Ministries that if the plain sense makes sense, look for no other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. And unfortunately, when we reinterpret the Bible the way we want it to mean and not let the Bible interpret itself, taking a literal hermeneutic, then you're going to end up with nonsense. And that's what it gets when we try to take these prophecies that relate to Jesus' kingdom and the church and and and. Israel, and then reinterpret it to being the church age which we're living in today. Well, we are definitely in perilous times, my brother. And um, I, I think 
you know, I was thinking about this and then this, this season of Christmas, this is such a fantastic time to just speak to people about the Lord Jesus. Every, everybody needs the Lord Jesus. But how often have you and I, over the years of ministry, how often have we heard someone say things like, well, I'm going to heaven when I die because I'm a good person? Often, very often. Matter of fact, that's what we call cultural Christianity, this idea that well, if they're a good person, they go to church once or twice a year. They, they're almost like it's a scale. And if the good outweighs the bad, then they've got an in in heaven. But the Bible doesn't say that at all. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, John 3, 36 says that we all remain under God's wrath. And that's why we need, Je that's why Jesus is called the Savior. He saves us from the sin and our consequences of our sin, which is eternal death and hell. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we are saved. We are rescued from that eternal wrath of God. And we can stand before the God reconciled, that relationship made perfect. And we are in that holy reconciliation with God. Therefore, we can then live in heaven forever. But God's not filling heaven up with sinners that are unredeemed. He's filling heaven up with sinners that are redeemed, redeemed from death. And that's what God wants. He's filling heaven with a people group that wants to live with him forever and ever. And that's where we get to the seventh promise about Christ's eternal kingdom. I love this one. Uh, people say, well, the church is going to last forever and ever. Well, the church will be in heaven and then on the new earth and the last forever and ever. But the church age kingdom, which I'm saying the church age is from Pentecost up to the rapture, it's going to end at the rapture. It's not going to keep going as the church on this earth. And thank goodness, because we know it seems like the church is really suffering many setbacks, especially with closures during this time period, great persecution, uh, slaughters really in Nigeria, uh, churches are in hiding in China. Uh, this isn't the age that we want to go on forever. We want our, our king, our Messiah to return. And that's what will happen at the end of the seven year tribulation. Jesus will return to this earth. He will defeat Satan and his antichrist and false prophet. He will then set up his thousand year kingdom six times in Revelation 20. Jesus says he will set up his thousand year kingdom. And then at the end of that thousand year kingdom, uh, he will have this great white throne judgment and he will resurrect all those who are in rebellion against them and judge them based on their works. But the only work that matters is Jesus' saving work on the cross. And since they hadn't accepted that, their sins aren't forgiven and the punishment of hell still is on them. And they will be uh, tragically sent to hell. But Everybody then going into the eternal state, Christ's eternal kingdom, that'll be all those who have given their lives to God in faith and put their trust in Jesus Christ, their Savior. God will restore the earth. It's called the new earth, and he's going to bring a new heaven down, which is called the new Jerusalem. And we read in Revelation 21 and 22 how we will finally go full circle back to the Garden of Eden, where we're in a perfect relationship with God. We're on a perfect earth. There's no sin. There's no desire to sin. The earth isn't fallen. The curse will be lifted. And that is the future for believers in Christ. And, and so, Casper, if there's any message I want folks to understand today, this Christmas season, is that as bad as things are now, and they are bad, and they're certainly going to get worse as the Bible prophesies, it's for a short amount of time. Because after that is Christ's eternal kingdom that will go on forever and ever, a kingdom defined by peace and righteousness and justice and perfect communion with our Savior and Father. And when you have that big picture on your mind, then it makes the troubles of this world seem to fade away. Amen. And I, I, I'm thinking as you're saying that, 
if we don't, if we will not obey the Lord now, why would we obey him later? Yes. Um, you know, I, I think that's a really important question we need to be asking. Um, you know, as this Christmas season, we're focusing on that. I, um, I'm amazed that there's a very popular um, church leader. We'll call him, the, I don't want to call him the pastor because I don't think he really is, in, in, in Atlanta, um, that has told people that you don't have to believe in the virgin birth to be a Christian. I mean, this is, you know, this, this, this light has been perpetrated and uh, the kingdom of darkness is, is, is it infiltrated the church on numerous levels at this point. And so there's all these heresies circulating today. And, um, and I'm going like, well, wait a minute, you know, without the virgin birth, the whole thing collapses. You, you can't even have Christianity without that. So um, we've dedicated a whole episode of Christ and Prophecy, our founder, Dr. David Reagan, has produced numerous articles like in our magazine, The Lamplighter, about the validity of the virgin birth. Because you're right, absolutely. Without the virgin birth, then Jesus Christ isn't divine. And if he's not divine, if he's not our perfect savior, if he has what's called the seed of man, in other words, if Joseph was really the father or some Roman soldier had, had raped Mary, as some say, then he's just a person. His death on the cross is meaningless because he's not a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. And so you'll see that those who try to, again, pull Jesus off his throne and elevate man are constantly denying the virgin birth. But the virgin birth is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. So I'm not sure which pastor that is. I think I have an idea who you're talking about. But uh, <laughs> they're leading people astray because, because Jesus Christ is divine. Matter of fact, one of the tests, when, when we're told to test the spirit, spirits, a, a false spirit will deny that God came in the flesh, that God through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did come in the flesh, but through Mary alone, not through Joseph or some other man. It was the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary. And it's in the Bible. <laughs> it's in a few chapters in the Bible, actually. It's a, so if you're going to throw that out, you might as well throw the whole Bible out because you don't really believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures. Right. I mean, there's just so much of this out there. Um, you know, if, that, if I can... Uh... What was it? The Ebonites, the, the, the early Jewish um, Christian sect, the, uh, they, they were really you know, legalistic and all. Um, they were running around with, you know, trying to think this Jesus was Joseph's biological son. Um, the, the Gnostics, I mean, this is a whole list of them. It's, 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 still, it's the same spirit that we see today in Monotheistic, but now, now they're pushing artificial intelligence. It's the same spirit, though. It's the same, you know, deviant. Um, Evil work goes behind the scenes here. So um, I, I really want to just see people just, um, you know, taste the spirits and, and, and just um, get with the truth. You know, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word was God. So, you know, the, in fact, the, the Lord said, I, my father, one. And one of the things that really, you know, impresses me is when the Lord Jesus said, well, when I return, will I find faith on earth? And I look around today, and, and it's like the entire world is bowing down to spirits of fear. That Absolutely. is not faith. That is opposite of faith. In fact, you know, Romans uh, 14, 23, that which is not faith is sin. Why would we want to sin like that? We don't want to sin. But a lot of people don't realize when, when you bow down to a spirit of fear, you're in fact saying that that fearful thing is greater than God's ability to deliver you. And then the, the, it's like the Lord stands back and goes, well, I gave you freedom of choice. You know, if, if, if as soon as you're ready, I'm here. 
just call, say the word, I'll be there. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting, uh, Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, even though he was a deist who rejected the supernatural, mm -hmm. he did say concerning the virgin birth, and he, he almost made like a prophecy, he said the day will come when the mystical generation concerning conception of Jesus by the supreme being as his father in the womb of a virgin will be classed with the fable of the generation of Minerva or in the brain of Jupiter. In other words, people will look at the virgin birth and they'll compare it to uh, false gods like Jupiter or well, we seem to be in a time period where the secular world is drowning out the story of our savior coming to this earth with nonsensical things like Frosty the Snowman and Santa Claus and, and all this stuff to get people distracted from the true message of the season. I, I think we all know about the story this year, how the television networks were actually trying to not show the Charlie Brown episode, the classic from the 60s, which gave the, the true meaning of Christmas story when Linus at the very end shares that because another attack against the church and, and the truth that that we're trying to have about the Christmas season, that it's really, it's all about God sending his son to be the savior of the world. And it's it's tragic, man. That's why so many people are so confused about what Christmas really means. They are, but we're here to try to unconfuse them because confusion is the devil and clarity is of the Lord. So we're here to just put the facts out straight so you can have them and enjoy them and be blessed. Well, I, I think we're coming up on a break. So as we're waiting for the end of the world, I do want to say a word about our sponsors with Naturally Cradles because it's a really good way to kind of launch your way out of here. We'll be right back. My band and I are very pleased to announce the release of our very new album just came out within the last day, uh, Black Swan. And we're really excited about it. We got to work with um, outstanding legendary producers um, my friend Glenn Taylor, who also produces Tommy James and the Shondells, who I get to play with on occasion. Um, Kenny Lewis, that works with Striper. It's um, one. I think it's one of the best records we've ever done. I'm uh, really excited about it. Want you check it out? You can go to Amazon, Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, all those kind of places, and help us bypass the gatekeepers that you know have such a monopoly going on with computerized music right now, and especially in the Christian world, we should be leading the charge. After all, you know, the Lord had music pre-exist humanity. Um, and the Lord asked Job, where was he when he created the world? The morning stars sang out together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So let's shout for some joy. Check out Black Swan, and now a word from our sponsor. For the grandest Again, it's good to be back with you, Casper. Hey, would you mind, sir, if I can take over your show just for a few minutes? Be my guest. 
Okay, well, I mean, back earlier in the year, you released an album called Game Changers. I loved it. And just this week, I found out that you've released a second album called Black Swan. That means you've released two albums in one year. Can I ask you a little about Black Swan before we get back into the Bible prophecy part of this program? Yes, of course. Okay, well, I want people to know about it because I loved Game Changers. It was fantastic. And now you got this new album called Black Swan. And why Black Swan? Because I almost think of that movie about ballet or something like that. Uh, uh, clearly, Game Changers as a title was quite prophetic for the year 2020 because we've all had to change the way we live. Does Black Swan have some kind of significant meaning in the title? I, I believe it does, uh, kind of like Black Swan operation, because people have been distracted and deceived by this Black Swan operation. And so that was kind of like the, the, the title track of the new record. And uh, you're right, we, we, we went into a little game changer and uh, my producer, Glenn Taylor, rung up about the time and said, let's make another record. So normally you don't you know, knock out two albums in a year, but we did. Um, Renee Truitt has joined the band from, from Nashville and uh, um, with, with Carlos Mestead and Donovan Litton and I'm just, you know, they're family to me. It's just, it's just a, a lovely musical um, family together, just worshiping the Lord. And uh, I, I love the way the, the flow of the album goes um, from start to finish. And it actually even ends up as a, a birthday song. I don't think there's very many Christian birthday songs. It just kind of happened at the end there. Um, just, you know, just showing people how much God loves you. Wow. I was looking at uh, some of the lyrics you've got there in the second verse. There's a spirit of fear covering all the earth. There's those who know about the pain of birth. There's a remnant faith like Smith Wigglesworth, spreading Christ's peace, joy, and holy mirth. Uh, who's Smith Wigglesworth, by the way? Smith Wigglesworth is one of my heroes in England. Um, Smith, okay. Smith was actually illiterate um, growing up. He was a plumber. And, and God, I mean, people in the church saw there was, there was an anointing on this young man. And uh, so he, he gets saved, he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden he can read. He never read anything but the Word of God. Imagine what our life would be like if all you ever read was the Word of God. But um, I have a friend um, in Gloucester, a pastor friend, Paul Linden, from Clear Springs Church. And, um, he, when he was a young man, he was sharing um, a story with me one day at a hotel. We were sitting having dinner, and he told me how he met Smith Wigglesworth's grandson, Leslie. And um, it, Leslie would have been in his 90s at that point. And, and, um, and I, it was kind of like I'd been at, at the, the, the experience. I, I, everything he said, I was kind of like I knew the answer before he said it. Sometimes I'd jump in ahead of him like I was actually there. Um, but Leslie Wigglesworth had asked him, well, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? And, and Pastor Paul said, well, you know, like his church answered at that time, it's like 18. So, you know, I'm waiting on God to see what I'm supposed to do. And Leslie Wigglesworth put his finger into his chest. It was like lightning went through his body and said, God has already told you what to do. So um, Paul's um, having a, just a wonderful um, ministry over there, a great revival, um, dear, dear friend. And Wigglesworth, um, I, I said just people check it out. He, um, he, he operated an, an amazing, uh, miraculous healing miracles over his, uh, the course of his ministry. So there's one, one particular story of Smith Wigglesworth that um, really amazed me, but 
that man didn't have any feet. And Wigglesworth prayed for him and said, go buy a pair of shoes. And so the man thought, well, you know, that's kind of weird. So he goes into the shoe store and, and the salesman says, you know, sees he doesn't have feet. He goes, well, what size shoes? And he goes, it doesn't matter. Just give me some shoes. And he put the stumps into the, the shoes and instantly he had feet. Now, I know uh, uh, friends uh, at Harvard uh, Medical School had shared with me, you know, they they'd, um, uncovered some things like, like in the reptilians where they were able to regrow limbs. So uh, it just makes sense to me that, you know, why not? I mean, all things are possible, of course. And um, so, yeah, uh -huh. Mr. Wigglesworth has some extraordinary, uh, I mean, these are documented cases. These are not just somebody's word, you know, mouth thing. These are actual eyewitnesses. He was, you know, um, in the 1930s and 40s, especially. So um, it, it, he's a very inspiring man. He just loved the Lord. And uh, in fact, I, I think when he passed away, um, the last thing that happened was he was walking down the church um, the, the, the preach one day. He was felt elderly at this point. And he turned to one of the elders and said, now, how's your daughter doing that I prayed for her? And before he could answer, he just killed over and he was gone. And I thought, mm -hmm. what a way to go. He was, he must have had some kind of symptoms, but he, he ignored those things. He just focused on, on the goodness of God, the God be loved and just loved people and just wanted people to get saved. He, he, he led thousands and thousands of people into salvation. Oh, wow. Well, it seems like uh, you named the album Black Swan, so that must be one of your, if not the favorite. Do you have other tracks that are you really personally uh, love on this album? I'm sure you love all your songs, but <laughs> is there some that stand out apart from the rest? Um, yeah, the, the, I think they're all. I, I, I really like The Thief in the Night because, you know, if, if this that's the second track and uh, it's, you know, because if, if we're aware of what's going on, we are not going to be taken like A Thief in the Night. The Lord Jesus will be coming back. There will be a rapture and it's not going to take us by surprise we will be prepared excellent any others um yeah i, I you know i love all the children on the, the album <laughs> i noticed you got songs titled like king jesus right. and another song, a night in the holy land mm -hmm. and uh, it looks like you were getting your creativity did i if i i read an article about this uh, about black swan and uh, you worked with legendary musician Rick Derringer to put this together. Is that true? Well, when I wrote Black Swan, Rick Derringer was staying with me um, that week with his wife, Jenza, and I, we were jamming in my studio, and I, I started playing around with this chord progression, and Rick stopped me and said, what is that? And I was like, I don't know, some kind of complicated jazzy chord, you know? Um, but he pulled it out. I mean, he pointed it out to me because I, th I think if had he not said that, I would have just, you know, just been another thing that just disappeared in the space. But um, uh, at that time, my, my violinist, Renee Troops, had uh, asked if we could record together. And I thought, yeah, we'll make this an instrumental. And so I sent it to her. And she's just, she always knows what to play and when to play. And then um, when she sent it back and I listened to what she'd done with it, I realized straight away I needed to write lyrics. This was actually a song. And so we, we presented it to the band and everybody played on it and we got really excited about what we we're doing. So I just love this new record. I hope everybody else does as well. Fantastic. Do you happen to have a cover lying around that you could show people what it looks like? I can actually. Um, see. Ah, there you go. Black Swan. There you are. There you are. And who, who are the people on the instrumentals? Well, 
Um, th this is the band, this is Rene Trucks on, on the violin, my drummer Carlos Merced um, and Donovan El um, on, on the keyboards. So um, all together we, we can seem to make a pretty joyful noise together. Oh, excellent. And if somebody wants to, to purchase it, where do they go? Uh, it, it's it, all those popular places now. It's, you know, Amazon, Spotify, um, Pandora and all that. Um, you can certainly go to caspermcleodmusic.com, um, get it there. The Upper Room Fellowship.org also carries it. So. Um, oh, well, I mean, if it's good as Game Changers, and I'm sure it is, I'm, I'm looking forward to downloading all the songs and hearing them. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to get you a copy straight away after the show. Oh, well, thank you, sir. I, I appreciate that. Fantastic. So two albums in one year, is this a record for you? It is, yeah, pun intended. Yes, it is a record for me. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. That does make a good pun, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, musician humor. Musician humor. I, I played the violin for three years and then my violin teacher asked me to stop. So that's the extent of my musical ability, yes. <laughs> you know, we all have I, talents, so. Yes. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. So what should we get into in our second segment here? Well, let us get back to the importance of Christmas, because um, okay. this, is a, this is key, um, understanding Christmas. Well, absolutely. Well, we were talking about the virgin birth before. Did you want to yes, talk about that again? Let's continue talking about that. Uh, you know, and, and as we talk about the virgin birth, um, it, it um, one of my friends is a, is a brilliant physician in Zimbabwe, uh, Dr. Michelle Strymon, and one of my dearest friends, and she was listening to our, our, our weekly Sunday broadcast, um, and she said, I, I said something at the church service, and I asked the question, how differently would you live your life if you knew the day and the hour of Christ's return? And she said, wow, that, that, that question um, deeply impacted her, and, and she said, I, I really need to put thought into this because it make Holy Spirit led changes until I can honestly say no difference. So if we knew that the Lord was going to twinkle us out of here, you know, tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, what do you think we'd be doing at that moment? Would we be studying the Holy Scriptures? Would we be up all night cramming for an exam? Or would we be singing worship songs? Would we, would we be out pleading with our family and our friends and strangers and neighbors? Please accept salvation before that moment arrives. I mean, we, we, will we be forgiving everyone who's ever offended us? I mean, obviously we should live a life um, that's glorifying to Christ. But you know, the, the, the prophecies and, and, and the virgin birth and all that is unfolding right now. Um, I, I just think it's a very good idea that we, we live every day as, as it could be our last because one day it will be. Absolutely, and it's, it's vitally important. I think that's the, the message as we've been discussing this is that Jesus is the son of God. He is both man and deity at the same time. If he's neither, he cannot fulfill the requirement for the atonement of our sins. Casper, uh, you're probably familiar with uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. It was a musical and a movie. There's a from it, Jesus sleeping and Mary Magdalene, she's singing, you probably remember this. And she sings this, she says, I don't know how to love him, what to do, how to move him. I've been changed, yes, really changed in these past few days when I've seen myself, I seem like someone else. I don't know how to take this. I don't see why he moves me. He's a man, he's just a man. 
and I've had so many men before in very many ways, he's just one more. And so we see here in the secular world of looking at Jesus is that they continue to deprive Jesus of his divinity. By, you know, I don't recommend Jesus Christ Superstar to anyone. I saw it, I was just appalled. But you know, again, it, it removed the divinity of Jesus Christ out of it. And when you remove the divinity of Jesus, the virgin birth, and that he's the son of God, then he's useless as a savior for our sins. He's just another fallen sinful person dying on the cross. And the only way to appease God's wrath is to have a sense of justice, which is very important to understand, is that we need a perfect gift. And Jesus Christ is the perfect gift of the season because we need a perfect person, a perfect God to die for our sins. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for our savior, salvation, then our sins are forgiven. The guilt and the wrath of God and the just punishment fell on him. And then we are cleansed and can stand before God. And that's, it's so important, I think, that people understand that for Christmas, that without the virgin birth, without the deity of Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. Amen. As you're saying that, I, I'm remembering a, a physician friend of mine back around maybe 2000 had said to me, because um, she, she knew I, I'd been studying the Shroud for, you know, years and years. And she said, well, if you could only prove the DNA samples on the Shroud, that would, you know, settle the, the debate once and for all. And so as I wrote that book, um, Spiritual Encounters with the Shroud, some years ago, where Dr. Eli Mazzulli had asked all the, the tough questions people want to ask. He's, he's so brilliant. He always comes up with the greatest questions. And I tried to answer them all. And then I found that... Um, you know, if, if the gospel counts, if the vision goes are true, which we know they are, well, then Jesus' DNA would have no Y chromosome because he didn't have a human father. Um, but it, it would have two X chromosomes instead. And um, so in that book, I, I did talk about that quite a lot. Um, uh, there, there's some scientists that confirmed um, that you know, taking the DNA samples from the Sodarium of Livia and the, the handkerchief that covers his face and the DNA samples of the, the Shroud of Turin, um, keeping in mind that if the Lord Jesus Yeshua was born fully male, that would mean that he must have an SRY gene. And so research has found that the SRY gene, instead of being um, in the Y chromosome, it was inserted into a location that it normally wouldn't be found. It was discovered inside one of the two X chromosomes and followed from the Virgin Mary's mother. There's actually a team, um, I think it was like around 1995, maybe an Italian, um, researchers that um, they actually helped uh, design uh, the standard DNA test for gender, but they were able to conduct the DNA uh, analysis on the blood of the shroud and uh, the, of the turn and the Olivia cloth, and um, and they found that they discovered that the X chromosome is present, but there's no evidence of a Y chromosome. Well, this is, of course, to be expected because this is the signature of the virgin birth. Well, hallelujah, that makes me glad all over because there's physical proof for all the skeptics out there, all those unbelievers that, that you know, want to challenge this, well, here it is. Um, obviously, we don't need the Shroud of Turin uh, for salvation, but since we have it, I, we might as well use it. Um, it's not just some Catholic relic. Um, we, we've got actual physical evidence here. And I mean, unless there's another virgin that, that gave birth to a man that was crucified wearing a crown of thorns, pierced in his side, and nails to his hands and feet with over uh, 120 scourge marks, whose servant actually left the, the image on one or two microns of herringbone cloth. I think the evidence pretty much speaks for itself. And as you know, Brother Nathan, uh, 
if you understand the significance of the, the Passover resurrection, you automatically understand what the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth did for us. What an incredible gift, especially if we think about that this Christmas. Um, and I, I, I was sharing at a, at a concert, um, it was the 50th anniversary of um, Woodstock, where I was the only Christian artist invited to play. I remember talking about Nicodemus. Um, you know, here Nicodemus comes, I mean, this great rabbi, he was a well-respected man about town, doing all the best things so conservatively. And um, he comes and he goes, the, the, the Lord Jesus, he goes, we know that you're a teacher from God because nobody can do these miracles except God's with him. And then the Lord Jesus just cuts to the chase and says uh, straight away, you know, you gotta get born again. And here's this well-educated gentleman thinking in terms of physical, well, you know, how can I be born again? twice. I, I can't get big. My mother's room is taking time, you know. Um, and I remember I was, I was, I was, I was sharing this uh, on this big stage. The wind was blowing really hard and I, I looked at everybody and I it's, said how the Lord you know, looked at Nick and he said, look, you don't know where the wind comes from, where it goes. You know, well, how can I tell you about quantum physics and string theory? I mean, how can I go into these deeper things if you don't understand the simpler things? Um, and you know, a lot of people just aren't grasping that. Um, but what, what an incredible um, understanding that the Lord has given us. I mean, we could just understand how he was horribly beaten, spats upon and salted and lied and, and cruelly nailed to a cross through his hands and feet, excruciating, agonizing pain that he went through and talk about bad things happening to good people. Um, what did he do to deserve any of that? We deserved it. So all those crimes we've ever committed by breaking God's laws and his commandments were placed upon the Lord Jesus on the cross. See, the Lord punished him so he doesn't have to punish you. Absolutely. Well, you know, you remind me of uh, one of the foundational verses. I looked it up while uh, you were saying that. Matthew 16, mm -hmm. verse 13 through 17. Uh, and this is foundational to our faith, if I can read that. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so we get this foundational passage. Are there people that say, well, Jesus was just a man. He never claimed to be God. He absolutely did all throughout those Gospels. And he took the worship of God to himself. And so he was the Son of God. So it's amazing to hear not only the physical evidence, but the biblical evidence, the testimonies, the witnesses, and the billions of people who have been saved over the years who had their hearts changed for, for God, who, who were one person before they were saved and completely transformed in something else. And, and that's what we see with Jesus' own disciples here. Uh, knowledge, the fact how Peter answers it, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That belief and faith is what opens up Christ's salvation to come upon us, his blood to clean us, and for us to be saved. It's so important people understand that this Christmas season. It says, uh, you know Brother Nathan, as, as we're going into 2021, we know the kingdom of darkness has got their nefarious plans in place. It doesn't really matter because it's, the word of God says, resist the devil, flee, 
we're, we're, we're going to resist the enemy. We're going to do what's right before God, and he will provide for us. He said he'd provide everything. So I, I think this would be a really good time because there's probably people watching that just haven't made their peace with the Lord. Would you be so kind as just to, to, to pray a prayer for them? Let them pray along with you right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Lord, we know that there are people out there who have many, many who have not accepted you as Savior. And maybe, Lord, that you are moving on their hearts with your Holy Spirit, and they just need answers. I pray, Lord, that they, those who are tuned in or seeking answers and feel that tug of your Holy Spirit on their heart will turn to you, will surrender their lives to you. Uh, Lord, that they will call upon you as the Son of God and Savior, that they will take that step of faith and trust you as Lord and Savior. And we pray, Lord, that if there's anybody out there who hasn't accepted Jesus and are listening to your words today, that they will pray from the heart something like, Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner and be my Lord and Savior. And Lord, that you will then wash their sins away, wash the guilt away, give them that new life, that perfected life, and that work of sanctification as they become more Christ-like. And to that day, Lord, when you call us home and the work of sanctification is complete, we will have our glorified bodies, the sin nature will be gone, and we will have that relationship restored with you, that perfect fellowship of peace and righteousness and justice. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anybody who is seeking you as salvation, they're looking for purpose in life, that they will pray this prayer from their heart in faith. Dear Jesus Christ, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I give my life to you. And Lord, that you'll respond. You will remove the stain of sin in their lives. Wash them clean by your own blood. And Lord, take the guilt from them and give them a new life, a life, Lord, that will be perfected when one day they appear before you in their glorified bodies, forgiven, healed, and sinless. And they'll have that perfect relationship with you once more. This is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Lord, where we will walk and talk and have fellowship with you, Lord. We look so forward to that day. So I pray for those tuned in that they may hear your word and respond to it in faith and so be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for your great sacrifice on the cross. In your precious and wonderful name, amen. Amen and hallelujah. Well, on behalf of the Upper Room Fellowship, Spiritual Encounters, um, Nathan and I both want to just wish everybody a very, very happy Christmas. And we look forward to seeing you for the next Spiritual Encounter, here, there, or in the air. We are here to help represent God's work, not ours. Besides the insightful biblical teachings shared by our host, Pastor Casper, we are also very blessed to be able to bring you outstanding interviews with some of the most sought-after deep thinkers and voices in Christendom today, helping to make a difference in this world for Christ's sake. We want to keep it that way, to be truly effective in internal matters, truly demands on prayer and being led of the Holy Spirit. If you, like us, long to see the Lord Jesus, Yoshua, glorified here through spiritual encounters, we invite you to join the prayer team. There is nothing more exciting than participating in intercessory prayer with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are a totally faith-based ministry, and so please give and support spiritual encounters as you are led. 
Truly Grace and Radio have a lot in common. Grace is free to us, but cost Christ an untold price, we may never fully understand this side of heaven. Radio is also free, too. It costs nothing to turn on your dial or stream audio, but it costs us a lot to stay on the air. Spiritual Encounters is almost entirely listener-supported, a privilege, but rare things in these days of big church radio corporations. We've carefully trimmed our budgets to all but wartime essentials, but operating costs are a fact of life. If you've been blessed through our programme, here are some ways you can give back as the Holy Spirit leads. Consider becoming an underwriter by contacting us or simply go to the upper room, fellowship.org, and scroll down on the main page to donate. Production of the Upper Room Fellowship and Casper McLeod Ministries. Visit us at theupperroomfellowship.org. This program is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The intro and outro music is performed by Casper McLeod from his album Communion, available at theupperroomfellowship.org. In my face, since I learned to pray. I've got a new life in Jesus. I've got a reason to live. I've got a new life.